Hi there. Welcome to listeners from across the globe. My name is Allison Nune, and this is Best Damn Reality, a new podcast intending to help bridge the spiritual and material worlds. Each week, I invite you to join me and to suspend all preconceived notions, to open your minds and your hearts to seeing everything from a much faster perspective. Should you be enticed enough, please also consider visiting me on my YouTube channel and on my business Facebook page, both under the name Allison Nune. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey. Episode 13, Ripple 2020, My Story to Our Story. Welcome back, listeners. This is going to be the first episode of the second series of recordings that go together. The first 12 go together, and episodes 13 through 23 are going to essentially go together. Now, each week I record with the goal of having any one episode be able to stand on its own and be at least minimally appreciated and enjoyed by any one listener. However, it bears repeating here a quick summary of what this podcast is, seeing as this is going to be a jump-in point to the story. And as such, might be the first time somebody's tuned in to Best Damn Reality. Best Damn Reality is a podcast classified under spirituality, but has as its goal to bridge the world of spirit with the world of physical, to speak a little bit more in detail on how the physical manifests itself, to share real stories from my character's life, from Allison Nune's life, real stories of how I have lived this very distinct transition beginning 10 years ago. I reference it as my spiritual awakening because it's the best words I can use. What took place for me on November 18th, 2010 was what I call my point of no return. I had been a seeker my entire life, Sagittarius through and through in terms of my belief in and desire and yearning, and feeling, and sensing, always, that there is a lot more going on, a lot more that represents reality than what we can experience with just our limited humanness, and our limited five human senses. I've been tapped into that this entire life in a very real way, but I did not have the conscious awareness of it until my mid-30s. And at that point, I opened myself more and more, beginning in 2008, and then, like I said, at the end of 2010, reaching a point where it was a distinctly different point of no return. It was as if I switched timelines of my own life. And everything Everything, despite on the surface appearing to be the same, everything foundationally shifted. And it has taken every bit of these past 10 years to rewire my brain, 
to break and even become aware of how deep patterns within my mind were and how they were no longer serving me and to break those patterns and to replace them with new belief patterns that always represented the greater truth to me, that anything is possible, that we are experiencing a wonderful, magnificent human shift in consciousness. And we get to choose right now more than ever, if we want to be a part of creating a very different version of earth. So podcast that is spiritual and physical podcast that is clearly words, but so much more is intended with these words. The actions underlying both the actions that I'm sharing from my past, the co-creative nature of what begins today with this episode and how we will witness what manifests as reality in the future. This is all a journey and bringing words to it is, it is impossible to fully explain this with just words. It's why it's taken me seven and a half years to get to the point where I can share, even attempt to share what I'm attempting to share, which is a very different version of human existence, of human interaction. And I'm not the only one out there resonating with this, living this, talking about this. However, Numbers-wise, in human form, on the planet, there aren't many, relatively speaking. There aren't many talking about the world in this way. But it's growing. And more importantly, the momentum of the energy is growing. The momentum of people speaking of a world based in love as opposed to a world based in fear. A world based in individuals taking greater responsibility, greater accountability for the reality that's around us. For us to stop playing victims and blaming this, that, and the other outside of us for what's happening in our lives and taking ownership at the nth degree and opening ourselves up to brand new perspectives. That is best damn reality in a nutshell. Now, the second series of recordings is intended to get a little bit more practical where the first 12 were stories and it was all well and good and very focused on Allison's life and very easy to be like, what is this? You know, it's not like I'm any big somebody out in the world. I am a, you know, in the 3D earth world, I'm, I'm at the opposite of a somebody. Yet, that is part of the greater purpose of the sharing of the story. Ripple 2020, the project introduced in episode one. The next 10 episodes, we're going to dive into the various perspectives of Ripple 2020, what this project is. It's still going to be very personal, very personal to Allison's story. It's Allison's creation. But it's a creation 
that Allison believes is coming through her, inspired by the greater energy, and simply coming through her as a conduit. So it's coming through her unique personality, her unique skill sets, her unique life experiences, but and that's the my story part of it, but the our story part of it is where the inspiration is, where the energy is, where the fuel originates, which is in the oneness. The oneness has always made always resonated as the greater truth to me. I have always known on some level that we are all connected and that what is happening to our neighbor in some way is also happening to us. And it's never made sense to me watching a world and coming of age in a world and being an adult in a world where there was just so much hypocrisy and so much of saying something but living the opposite and clearly not a demonstrated reality of us collectively really getting that what we do to our neighbor, we do to ourselves. And once I had my point of no return awakening, I finally got to that necessary point where I no longer was looking outside of myself for the validation for what felt real and true. It started this beautiful, intense, deep journey within. And now, in the cycle of energetic flow, it's time to take, after 10 years of honing the internal and getting really good at being the only person that can validate these higher energies that I believe represent God, the one, the light, the source. That energy is within each of us. Through our heart is where we feel that. And learning how to take that, first how to connect to it, reconnect to it, and then what to do as you try to live that connection. That is what Ripple 2020 is. And these next 10 episodes are going to share 10 different perspectives of how this project came into reality. But more so, as I share, if you want, I'm going to be dropping points. The website, you will get to witness the creation of the website and the project. It's like I've got the framework and the words of the project. I've got all the pieces to fill it in. But the piece that I will need from outside of me is minimal participation. As introduced in episode one, Ripple 2020, and we'll go more into detail over this next week when we talk about the surface level perspective, is about raising $4 million by $1 buy-ins. In other words, getting 4 million unique world citizens to contribute a single dollar. 
to this little experiment of energy called Ripple 2020, which is my, Allison's idea, but intended, as the name suggests, to have a very concerted rippling effect to others as I take my story to our story. Today's episode is just to give a little bit of a history of how this came into reality for me, the point at which it's at right now. Before we get to those details, let me preview the next 10 weeks. These are the various 10 perspectives that I will be discussing the project of Ripple 2020 utilizing. Beginning next week, we're going to start with the surface level perspective. The following week, we're going to move to the egoic perspective, followed by the political perspective, the financial, the economic, the educational, the artistic, the health and well-being perspective, the cultural perspective, and finally, the highest level, the spiritual perspective of Ripple 2020 will be episode 23. Each week, I'm also going to utilize two, we'll call them spiritual tools. Okay, and I'll go more into detail each week, but they're either a phrase or an action that guides and has guided my journey in the past 10 years. And I'll pick two of those to utilize as I speak to each of those perspectives for the upcoming 10 weeks. Simultaneously, the website is going to be created. Very purposely, it's going to be as simple as possible to begin with, with the highest level pieces identified and working to fill in the list of beneficiaries who will be the recipients of the $4 million raised after taxes, after business taxes are removed. Okay? So that's the preview for the next 10 weeks. It's a little challenging to summarize all the influences of this project in my world. But I'm going to begin with four of my favorite quotations, four quotations that each describe a piece of what and how I've assembled everything in my world and what's inspired me and how Ripple 2020 represents each of these pieces, each of these quotes. The first one, John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Very poignant quotation in present day, because I feel as if our sense of service is, well, we'll just say at a low point. I do not feel as if we've got this dedication to anything much beyond ourselves and our own little units and our own 
side of any us versus them. Collectively, I feel like more than ever, this is a question that if we pose that to ourselves and focus on what we can bring to anything that we're judging as an issue or a problem outside of it. Stop looking outside of ourselves for the solution, but look to be the solution. Which leads me to the second quotation. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Gandhi, from moment one, from the foundation of my company, that quote guided me. I was no longer going to accept what the outside world told me I could or could not do in business with money, how to make these decisions. So you can't do that. I'm going to show and be the change and represent what I feel and how I feel business can be done. Why can't business be done with the oneness in mind? Why does money have to be It's not inherent in and of itself. Nothing, we as humans give meaning to everything. Nothing is inherently good or bad. We assign that meaning. Money is not evil. But the way it's been utilized and how it's been earned in the business world, I just feel like it's been limited. Which is one of the reasons I consciously began my company as a for-profit company. But I began my company with pay-it-forward investments in others as opposed to doing what the more common action, which would be to ask for investment into one's company at the beginning, not to start one's company by paying it forward. More on that to come, but that's the second quotation that represents the inspiration and direct energy of Ripple 2020. Third one, you cannot solve problems from the same level of consciousness that created them. You must see the world anew. That one is Albert Einstein. I don't even actually like the word problem any longer in my life. Same with mistakes and failures. Those words aren't really personally things I, you know, I really just see everything as experiences and everything is growth and expansion. So I'm, I kind of label things as desirable or undesirable. And when something desirable happens, you celebrate it. And if something undesirable happens, You investigate it and you, you know, you try to understand why and how that result happened to what extent you can, but then you move beyond it and only minimally focus upon the undesirable. Look for the lessons, look for the ways you can change and learn from the undesirable, but you don't need to linger in it. You don't need to get mired in the undesirable. But I don't even really look at the world and see problems. I really just, like I said, I I kind of see it as all part of the divine plan. And things are, I'm not saying that there aren't issues that need to be addressed. But what, in speaking that language, it certainly has never made sense to me to try to address them from the same systems 
that have created the problems, the same individuals, the same way of doing things. And that, to me, has been clear since I was a kid. I've looked at and seen exactly what this quote is saying, which is it's suggesting that over time, we keep addressing things that we label as problems in the same way that created those problems in the first place. How is that going to pose any sort of real solution? The answer is it hasn't, which is why we still see repetition in history. Similar energies playing out in different ways, but really the same damn problems revealing themselves time and time again until we learn you've got to come at them from a higher level of awareness, a higher level of consciousness. Again, representing the intention and in, in part of what Ripple 2020 is. And finally, the fourth top quote that has affected my life. Margaret Mead, never doubt that a small group of committed individuals can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. I've said this in, in a couple of episodes or at least one prior to this. I'm casting a big net, but I am not looking for millions and millions of followers and likes and all of those things. I'm so grateful that we have the internet as a platform, which in theory allows us to potentially reach anybody across the globe. But as I mentioned earlier today, the number of people in human form across the planet relative to the entire globe's population, the number of people that are likely resonating with what's coming through me is still very small. But I have to cast a very wide net because if and when I find just a handful of human beings that are resonating with what I'm speaking of, that are in their own lives living this and taking action and truly seeing and working to create a different version of the human story, one of my many hypotheses is that a small group operating at this deeper level, inspired by these higher energies, will prove to be more effective and efficient in the physical world than companies exponentially bigger than groups of individuals working together that are exponentially bigger. That will be remain to be seen when we see what happens with this project as it proceeds. And that last quote actually connects directly to the, there was one very specific thing that inspired the first version of Ripple was called Evolt. And Evolt was inspired by season one, episode 20 of The West Wing, a show that significantly influenced me, not only when it first aired, beginning in 1999, but more so when I returned to watching the series for the first time since its original airing, when I rewatched it, in 2013, shortly after the launch of my little company of me. 
And the launch of my little company of me was nothing short of me following a calling, a calling that I could not point to, a calling that I could not describe to anybody else, but very much knowing it was coming from that higher energy, that oneness, that God, that light calling me. And I just took an enormous, literal leap of faith in that call and set out to figure out what it meant for me to dedicate my life to this oneness and to living it. And I was drawn to rewatch the the West Wing, more from inspiration as a leadership, from a leadership perspective, and watching this high power team of individuals work together within a system that we were all, as American citizens, somewhat familiar with, to varying degrees, our political system. And it was season one, episode 20. The title of the episode was Mandatory Minimums. In that episode, it was highlighted, and knowing Aaron Sorkin's brilliance, the creator and writer of The West Wing, in fact, the only writer, I believe, for the first two seasons, potentially even the first three seasons, but I'm almost certain that season one and season two were literally only Aaron Sorkin was the writer of this weekly, hour-long drama depicting to an extremely accurate degree, the workings, the inner workings of the West Wing. So I would guess that his statistics were probably pretty accurate. Even though I think this one particular statistic I'm about to read, it's hard for me to believe that this number is as low as, as it is. But this is the number that literally inspired the financial side of Ripple 2020. In this episode, episode 20, called Mandatory Minimums, it was quoted that over 30% of the entire federal prison population are nonviolent first-time offenders in jail for drug-related crimes, and that it cost $2 million a day to house these inmates. Now, the part that I felt seemed small was that it was only $2 million a day. The part that is astounding, 30% of the federal, not any particular state, the federal prison population, non-violent, first-time offenders in jail for drug-related crimes. And it was costing our government, therefore us as taxpayers, in this particular system of government, $2 million a day. And I literally remember pausing the episode and jumping out and thinking, what? Give me $2 million a day and let me show you what what we can do, what I can do with $2 million a day. Because rest assured, when I look now from 1999, 20 plus years later, we don't have less people in prison. Our our prisons aren't rehabilitating anybody. They're not, this isn't something, from from a perspective of analyzing our society from a language of quote-unquote problems and solutions, the prison issue is not, it's only an exacerbating problem, has not gotten quote-unquote better. Yet we're spending $2 million a day 
And what is that getting us? And who's accountable for it? And I remember thinking, give me $2 million. Let me show you. Let me give a shot and see what I can do to help, to guide, to instill real freaking change. Because clearly this is just a waste of money. All this is doing is perpetuating a pretty ugly part of our society at, you know, at all. When we look at the number of people imprisoned, what happens to them in prison, what it conditions them to be. Oftentimes, lifetime prisoners, lifetime criminals. It's not leading towards anything. And as such to me, on the surface, that is a glaring waste of money. So that is where the original amount that I wanted to raise that hit me was $2 million. Now I'll go more into the detail next week. But the first time around when I did this and I gave money and paid it forward, it was very innocent, very pure, very innocent, but very naive and a lot of lessons to learn. And one of them is, Allison, you can't run around going into debt and doing things for free. Like you've got to figure out a little bit of a wiser way to go about this. Which is why now, seven years later, round two, if you will, take two, Evolt is now called Ripple 2020, and Ripple 2020 has as its goal to raise twice the amount originally, $4 million, because while my company is intended to be a conduit of this, and by virtue of that, I need to claim these donations as income. Now, if I claim $4 million as income for my company, I'm going to have to pay a little probably around two and a third million dollars taxes on that. I'm sorry, probably 1.7, leaving me with about two, two and a third million dollars. The point is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm willing to be a conduit, but I, it's not wise for me. And I'm not in a position where I can do this for free. Certainly not go into debt the way that I did before. And while there were no regrets, none whatsoever, and how this transpired when I first began it, I'm learning and evolving from that, which is why, and I have a thing for fours. So I kind of like the idea of raising four million, and the goal is to have at least two million, and it will be more than that, to then go out, then I reach that original number. That original number was two million. Raising four million which covers part of that is going to come to the business taxes, will leave me with over $2 million to then put out into the world, which was the original thought from this episode of The West Wing that I was re-watching in the spring of 2013. That is the, the gold nugget birth point of Ripple was that episode and that particular monetary number that was brought up. Okay. And we'll definitely tie back into that when we talk in the week of the political perspective of Ripple. Because one of the things I would argue is that our current system wastes an exorbitant, exorbitant amount of money. And it's so big that there is very rarely accountability for any of these programs, for all this money raised. Each time we have an election, where the hell does all this money go? Where is all this money? And I'll go more into that 
in the week where we talk about the political perspective of Ripple. But I bring it up here because what a whole system is given, $2 million a day in 1999 didn't achieve much when we look 20 plus years later. And that brings me to the, you know, connects it back to the Margaret Mead quote, a small group of people working together consciously, deeply connected with real guidance from something greater than them and with an understanding that what we do to our neighbor, we do unto ourselves. So it behooves us to be out there working for and being the best to and for one another. And that a small group, in this case, just one little me with one little idea. And like I said, with the participation, the minimal participation of 4 million others. So it's not just me. It doesn't work unless I've got that minimal participation from 4 million others. But relative to what our government, what we look outside of ourselves, I, I bring it back. We can be achieving and doing much, much more with less if we do it with greater intentions and higher guidance. Greater intentions and higher guidance. In a nutshell, that is what the sharing of my journey has been attempting to depict at the highest of levels, greater intentions, higher guidance. And the culmination of these first eight years is Ripple 2020. When I took this very real leap of faith at the end of 2012, and in a very, in a way that made it real in early 2013, when I actually gave the money away and signed a year-long lease, when I made these decisions, it, it basically turned my life over to something greater than me. By virtue of leaping as big as I did. And the tricky part was that I knew how it looked on the surface. I knew it was going to look crazy to everybody on the surface because I couldn't point to why I couldn't explain how I had this level of certainty within me that I, I just, I had never had it before. I had never had the depth of knowing that not only was I going to be okay, but that I was in no small way finally on the path that I was intending to be walking. The journey I was intended to live in this life of Allison. And I knew, I knew what it looked like. And I did everything that I could, which was very little, to try to communicate to people how sure I was of myself and to reassure them that I wasn't crazy. But that was really tough because at this point, I was 35 years old and I didn't have a lot in my adult life that demonstrated that I had really grown up, to be honest with you. I wasn't married. I didn't own a home. 
I didn't have children. I didn't have pets even at the time. I didn't have a successful career. I, you know, I was, I wasn't in, you know, I, I wasn't in trouble. I mean, I didn't, yeah, I, I was, I just was clearly wasn't exceeding any expectations had of me, um, from my family, from my high achieving family and high achieving network of friends. I'm, you know, I came from a highly educated background. So it was, it was a real leap of faith. And the way I tried to explain it right from the beginning, but nobody was able to accept this, was that I saw it as me putting th- myself through my own PhD program. It's why I had a six-figure, $100,000 limit on myself. I was not going to go any more than $100,000 into debt in this effort to get my company off the ground to you know, to finally live the life and create the life of my dreams and do the work of my dreams. I knew that if I had gone to graduate school, gone back to school and gotten into an MBA program at Harvard or Stanford or one of the top schools and went $100,000 into debt for a graduate degree or more education in that formal setting, nobody would have batted an eye or at least it would have you know, the, the label of crazy wouldn't have been so easily thrown in my direction. But God forbid, our world tells us, if you think you actually know and can put yourself through an education process that could actually potentially teach you more than, a, you know, than a, a generalized, our systems work for some people. They don't work for a, a great deal of others. And they aren't personal. You don't get to go and customize your own very own unique program when you go get your MBA or any degree. That's not how that system works. But what resonates to me, and I will speak more about this in the week where we talk about the educational perspective, and I have some, I can speak to this more than the average person. I have a graduate degree in education. And I was in the classroom for a couple of years. Now, no, I don't have a whole career, but I've been around educators. And I've got many educators in my family. And I was a top student. I'm allowed to have an opinion. And my opinion actually has validity behind it. Experience within the field to be able to offer this sort of criticism. I needed something that was highly customized. For me to grow at the rate that I grow, for me to be on my journey, I need to have more control over my journey. I did not find that once I graduated college, which is why I struggled. So when I launched my company, it was like I was putting myself through my own dissertation, PhD. uh, I was putting myself through my own PhD program and my field of study was my own energy. I was going to graduate knowing myself more completely and deeply and thoroughly than ever before. And I would argue if we were more whole human beings going out into the world and co-creating a world from a place of more balanced, happy wholeness, that would result in a very different world than individuals going out 
and looking outside of themselves for all of this. It's completely backwards. And that takes me to the very first lesson that my PhD program revealed to me quickly, which was (laughs) your world, you can't change anything. We can't change anything but ourselves. That is the only thing ultimately that we have control over. Changing ourselves, however, does change our world. Changing yourself changes your entire world experience. And going out into the world as somebody that knows themselves, that has a voice, that knows what they need, knows what they want, knows what they're good at, knows what they're weak at, is honest, transparent. How is a world of people interacting from those descriptors? How is that? not desirable. That's what I, that's the world I'm looking to create. That's the world I'm looking to be a part of. That's the world that I'm looking to be a trailblazer for, to actually bring some form of these sorts of things and of these perspectives to bring it into something that's quote unquote real. Ripple 2020 is that. Ripple 2020 is my dissertation for my own self-created PhD program that began almost eight years ago. And on the eight-year anniversary of the launching of that vision, the launching of that effort, the launching of that self-created educational program is November 30th. And it will be on that day this year that Ripple 2020 officially launches. It's going to show the power of one person. Let me phrase it this way. It has the potential to show, to demonstrate this project. The power of one person. The power of intention. The power of gratitude and appreciation. The power of love and trust. This program is honest, it's simple, it's direct, and it will be transparent. Through it, I will share some of the lessons. Through the next 10 weeks, as I bring this vision to life in what I call take two, this is my second attempt The first time I woefully failed at bringing any sort of form, any sort of words to what it was that I was dedicating my life to, what was calling me, this this version of earth that I see and feel so deeply and so clearly. I have to keep going and to fearlessly provide this example. It may take the rest of this life for me to earn that $4 million. To draw it in. In some way, shape, or form. That is the goal. That, for lack of a better way of explaining it, my soul needed to get something doable. Something real enough. 
something that could happen. I had to put an example together that met those criteria. But the biggest criteria that took me the longest to put it all together was that it also needed to show what we could be doing. It was intended to just give a little glimpse of how much more efficient, effective we can be living and contributing our skills and gifts out in the world, specifically in what we label as our jobs. It's just supposed to give a little example of the magnitude of the potential of humanity that is untapped right now in a very practical way that we can begin almost risk-free to learn how to tap into more potential within more humans. That's what the example, this is, this is, this is why it's going to take the next 10 weeks to share 10 different perspectives. And this is funny. I'm just realizing that last week's episode, I think I said that I was going to begin from that point on to explain less. And here I am realizing that all these next 10 weeks are going to be is explaining. If that doesn't tell you that the struggle this still is for me, because I learned last time, it, you, you have to live it. Your life has to be the example. And it doesn't matter. It's not about convincing those who can't see. It's about reaching those who are willing and able to see this version and to see what humans look like in a version of, of earth that is not, and it's, it's not the people that are the problem. It's the systems. The systems do not encourage us to be human. They don't allow for us to be individual and unique. They aren't based in love. They're based in fear and manipulation and control. It's not the human beings that are the problem <laughs> in that world of problem solution. It's the systems. So this is, this, is, this is it, though. This episode I'm actually putting out there. I'm naming dates. I've got a schedule. I've like, and it's a little terrifying, if I'm being honest. Because it wasn't easy last time receiving the judgment and the criticism and the label of she's lost it. It wasn't easy to feel that because very few said it, but almost everybody close to me felt that. People I loved, people I admired, people I respected. And here I was naively feeling like everybody, like I was the last one to the party. I'm like, wait, I finally get it. I finally know what I'm here to do. Like it all makes sense now. That's how I felt. Like I literally felt like everybody, like somehow, it, it, I, I can't explain it. All I can say is that exposing myself again is, is I've, it's been a journey to detach from the ego side of it. I can't be connected. I can't need anything outside of me to be a certain way for me to feel the way I want to feel, which is happy and positive and good. 
If I need something outside of me to be a certain way in order for me to feel that way, therein lies a succinct summary of why our planet is the way that it is. If we all knew how to go within to feel what we seek outside of ourselves, oh my God, totally different planet, totally different reality. And I now can speak from both sides of that. I went from needing, not realizing the extent to which I needed external validation. I was, for argument's sake, on one end of the spectrum. And I didn't even have the awareness that that's how much I needed that. And now I'm on the other end. Where I am literally the only human being that can validate what I see for myself as my best version of me in the best version of the world that I, that's what I wanted. That's what I feel like I came here to be and do. And that's what I feel and know and believe is possible. And because I know it's already in existence and it's just a matter of me to keep living exactly what I'm speaking so that I can draw into my world others who are seeing it, agreeing to tell the human story that way. The only way I'm going to experience more of it is to keep honing it within myself and to be as authentic and honest and real as possible. It just so happens that the unique calling, at least right now for my character, requires me to share what amounts to be kind of a big idea. It is and it isn't. And so I've got to open myself up. And while I can sit here and definitely tell you that it is a very vulnerable thing and it's terrifying, I am also beyond excitement because I don't even know what lies ahead. We never do if we're being honest. But that's the magic of life that our current way of existence in mass has crushed. We've crushed the magic of life. We've, we've made every system as inhuman as they can be. We've, we've, we've missed the point here. And right now, these times, it's like another boat is passing us by. And rest assured, if you miss this boat, there'll be another one. But I'm not missing this boat. It's okay. I'm ready. I'm as ready as I can be to stand tall in this idea and to keep living it. And now I've given it voice in a big way, even though not that many people are tuning in this week, each week, and that's okay. It's great because if more people were receiving this, I would feel that. And like I said, right now I have to be honed in to what is resonating for me because no one outside of me, like I have to, I have to, and it's, it's not Allison. It's that higher energy. It's, I, I, I grew up very uncomfortable with, with, with the word God. And I think it's just because I felt like so much was being done in God's name across the planet that like just didn't make sense to me. Death and war never made sense in God's name. I, I just major, major incongruency there for me. 
So I grew up being uncomfortable referencing God. I'm more comfortable with calling it the universe, source, the light, the one is really what I like referring to the energy. But from my perspective and how I'm, it's all the same. That one big, huge power, beautiful, perfect energy of which we're all a unique expression. I know that that, that, that is what, you know, after I had this point of no return point, I understood what people meant when they said in the Christian faith that they had been saved, you know, as an adult. I've been saved or, or like I, I finally understood what that meant. Now, while, while I didn't experience it in that way and I, I'm not, this is not a, a religion. I'm not part of any one religion. This is spiritual, not religious, but there are huge overlapping aspects of religion and spirituality. There's overlapping as the essence of religion, I would argue, is this is what links it to spirituality. The rest of religion has been man-made, but the essence of the faiths, the essence of their stories, the essence of Jesus Christ, Allah, Muhammad, Buddha. Essence is love. The essence is God. The essence is the oneness. And all I'm looking to do is be part of an earth that reflects more of that. Because that is real. And it's true. And I got to open myself up more authentically in this way. And I just have to be unattached to how people respond or don't respond. I have to be unattached to the positive and to the negative. I just want to be engaging out in the world in real ways. I want to know, feel, and see, and experience as directly as possible what my efforts are contributing towards. I want to know what, I'm, what am I aiding out in the world. Far too often, I feel like people say, it's just my job. And you know, like, hey, it's just business. It's just my job. We're being asked to examine that thought within us. Do you know what you're a part of? Do you know what your energy is contributing to? Have you stopped long enough to ask yourself that question? And most of us don't and can't because we, what's the alternative? We don't see an alternative. Oh, great. So no, I don't like what I do for my job. No, I don't think I'm compensated fairly. No, I don't really like that my efforts go towards this particular thing. But, you know, what do I do? Where, where are the other options? That's what I always felt. So now, as I reach to kind of my concluding point, I bring it back to one of the quotes. Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. From moment one, day one, since this conscious journey began. The entire focus was to be the change I wish to see. This is how I see and want business to be done. How I'm handling my little business of me. And if I start and hone in and make me the only part of my company 
It's all I have to speak for. I, I don't have to run anything by anybody. I can speak for me. I can go out in the world and commit myself and my skills. I don't have to run it up any ladder. And I take full responsibility and accountability for every decision, for every choice. And I've got this beautiful example now where I get to create that. I get to, I get to choose to whom I say yes. An Iron Man, to bring it back to last week's, Iron Man was my stepping stone. Iron Man was the first, Iron Man and the farm. Iron Man, the farm, local races. When I leapt into creating this company and to be this living example of how things can be, I never, naively, I never thought I was going to have to work for somebody else again. Not in that old structure. As I will share when we talk in the week about the financial perspective of this project, I had to go back and work for others. Because once my, I funded it using 0% interest cards, funded my vision completely on my own, through my own resources, what was available through me. When those became, the first ones became due, 12 months after everything began, I didn't, I wasn't yet out there earning money. I'm still not. So I had to go back and begin working for others. And the lessons and what that has revealed has definitely not been accidental. And it began at the farm, and then local races and Ironman. It's one of the reasons I continue to be a contractor for Ironman and say no at least once a year to a full-time job offer within that company. No, I know to what I dedicated the rest of my life on November 30th, 2012. I know. I'm not giving up on that dream because I do believe that my story is our story. I do believe there is a greater reason that somebody as loving, I didn't set out to be physically alone in this life. I have an enormous heart. I, I, but I know There is a reason I didn't have a family and children or a career or a home or any of those commitments when this began because those are real considerations. It's why I said I felt like I owed this. This is my job on the human team. I had to put together an example like this. First and foremost, of course, for myself. But this is my, this is my role. And if you can agree to see the story from that perspective, well, let me put it this way. Unless you agree, (laughs) unless you're able to agree to see the story of Allison's life for the past eight years from that perspective, with that as the starting point, you, you won't catch the best part of the best parts of the story, unless you're able to accept that. And I think strangers 
have an easier time. My experience has been that strangers have an easier time accepting the premises of my story that I've already lived. Like, it's not debatable. This is what was going through my mind eight years ago. And I'll conclude with with this, which is probably the hardest lesson that I am still learning, is that it blows my mind how many close relationships in my life and how my, my pattern was that I would somehow agree I was giving all my power away and I was letting, looking to others to tell my story for me. And perhaps the greatest thing at the highest level that I had to, that I had to learn how to do was to tell my own story, not give that power away. So it's been interesting because as I've stood in that, the only, I haven't found many that are willing to accept it. (laughs) A lot of people want to make it something that's debatable. No, you didn't have that as your goal. And for a lot of years, for most of my life, until I was in my mid-30s, I agreed to like debate my own, my own telling of my story. And, and I know that's probably fuzzy, but it will get clearer, rest assured, over the next 10 weeks because it's one of the greatest, most important lessons I feel others might be able to gain from, from that aspect, from the lesson that I learned. Cause I wasn't ready. Like I said, I naively felt like I was the last one to the party. And I'm like, Oh, I finally know what, what, what my role is. I mean, if we agree to play a role, you're going to do a lot better than if you're forced to play a role. And the role I was playing up until 35 years old was one that I felt was forced upon me. I wasn't consciously choosing it. Now, for 10 years, I've been consciously, fully consciously choosing every single, every single choice at the nth degree. And my dissertation will reveal to me where I'm at. So, join on the journey or not. But thank you for listening. As I know, this is, this was a tough week for me to even record. It's all over. It's, it is what it is. And I hope now that I've got a framework and a plan for the next 10 episodes, I feel confident that we'll get back into a better flow and on time starting next week. Till then, thanks for listening. And, uh, we'll talk to you again soon.